Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome to the show, brought to you by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're joined by one of Australia's most decorated and heralded basketballers. Rachel Spawn is a three-time Olympic medalist, a world championship medalist, and a dual WNBL MVP. A member of the Order of Australia, Rachel won five WNBL titles in her 377-game domestic career and was among the first Australians to play in America's WNBA. So seismic was her impact, the WNBL would later decide to award the best player in the grand final, the Rachel Spawn Medal. Rachel, welcome. Great to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Sam. Great to be here. And I beg my pardon, but what I probably should also say is your official title now is, of course, Port Adelaide AFLW Operations Manager, ahead of the Powers entry into a, an 18-team competition, which is exciting. Oh, my gosh. It is so exciting. It's very, very new. I haven't actually started yet. I start on the 15th of March, so I'm getting my life in order <laughs> before I start in that full-time role. And I I'm just, um, I think the most exciting part for me is that I'm going to be working with uh, elite female athletes, obviously an area that I'm so familiar and yeah, and I, cause I was one of those once. So it's pretty nice to, to get back in that, in that environment and hopefully have a great positive influence on those girls. Now you haven't started yet, as you say, you haven't got your feet under the desk. Was it, has it been a whirlwind, the whole process? What's it been like? Yeah, no, it has because it only sort of came to fruition a couple of weeks ago. And um, and, and and as I had as it had it, I worked for Sport Integrity Australia. And so I actually had to present to the Port Adelaide Football Club men um, on anti-doping and, and everything on, before it was a day before it was announced that I was actually taking up the role with, with the AFLW at Port. So I spent a couple of days at Alberton last week getting accustomed to to that drive down there and yeah no it has been a whirlwind but yeah no really looking forward to working with Juliet Haslam who's head of the AFLW they've been really welcoming and supportive thus far so no signs are all good so I can't wait and if we were to open up your um your wardrobe at home would there be various teal items now filling the racks does teal suit you I think it does I've always loved black so just adding teal um to that is totally fine and yeah no I have so many um Port Adelaide friends so it was interesting actually the congratulations were probably 50% this is amazing for my court supporters and the other 50 from my pros friends congratulating me but very disappointed in me yes well I was going to say obviously the city you call home Adelaide you won all the other so what does this mean have you alienated half of your friendship base well maybe and it's an interesting one because there's a great rivalry obviously when it's a two-team town so it's sort of yet yeah, one or the other 
Um, yes, I think so. I'm going to have to um, mend some bridges, I think. <laughs> now, Erin Phillips, the question has to be asked. Will she be up on your whiteboard in the office there, chief recruiting target? Do you know, I can dodge this question, Sammy, because I am not in charge of list management. It is not one of my roles. <laughs> so I'm happily handling that when that question comes my way. <laughs> you've learned very quickly. I like the way you've played that. So how far back do you two honestly go? I mean, I know you knew her dad, Greg, but Erin was what, maybe a, a teenager, mid-teens when you first came yeah, there's a love that's right. It's a lovely story. Um, I was working for Australian Major Events running the tour down under, and it was the um, start of the race in Port Adelaide. And I knew knew Aaron's dad, Greg, and I actually came across both of them, Greg and Aaron. And Greg wanted me to introduce me to Aaron. She was age 14 at the crossroads, couldn't play junior football anymore because she was a girl. So because she actually met me and knew that I was a basketballer, she said, Well, I'll give basketball a go. And can you believe within three years she's playing alongside me in Adelaide Lightning. So I was seven, she was 17 and I was 34. I always remember that because I was double her age at the time. <laughs> and, yeah, so that's how quickly she picked up basketball just within that three-year period. So she's just an all-rounder and, you know, obviously went on to do incredible things in the WNBA and with the Opals, dual Olympian. And I'm so pleased for Erin that she's been able to fulfil her dream of playing in the AFLW and, and at the highest level because it would have been a you know, travesty if we didn't get to see her amazing silky skills mm. on on the football level. Oh, she's an amazingly talented sportswoman. And and I suppose I jest, Lightning could strike twice with you influencing her career twice in the space of her. But, I mean, look, in all seriousness, I, I guess there's no greater lure than having your dad as a club legend as Greg is with Port. But what will be, will be. In all seriousness with you, though, this is a big role you're taking on, isn't it? It's a, it's a multifaceted one. Absolutely. I'll be wearing many, many hats. Um, and you're right. And we're starting from the ground up. So that's a pretty exciting thing when you think about it because, you know, we can put our own slant on it. And, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's sort of an exciting adventure, really. Um, so, yeah, I'll, look, I'll be obviously in charge of a lot of the logistics. I love that I'm going to travel with the team. So game day, I'll be there travelling into state again, which will be really lovely. And obviously hoping that COVID is not so much of an influence oh. um, down the track because I know the paperwork becomes rather horrible <laughs> when COVID <laughs> hits. So. Yeah, really hoping that um, the season starting next year is COVID uninterrupted. Amen to that. And as we get to our first break, though, can you, uh, I guess, speak a bit to the appetite? I mean, it must be huge at the club to have a a women's team. I mean, the academy's been in place for a while. They've been campaigning for a long time. We finally make it whole with 18 teams. What sort of thirst and appetite is there at Port Adelaide to have a women's team in the competition next season? Oh, it's incredible. They're, They're so proud. They're so excited. You're right. They've been wanting this for a long time. And they're really a, a very family-oriented club and females are an incredible, important part um, of their 152-year history. They've always had females involved and, you know, what comes to mind is Jenny Williams, you know, um, Mark Williams' sister, Foss Williams' daughter. She's been an integral part and she'd be she'd be so excited too that um, there's an AFLW. But, yeah, look, it, it just... I think expands the club in a in a beautiful way, and it's really nice that you know now the AFLW have every AFL team will have an AFLW team. So you know that what a, what an amazing thing to achieve since the inception in 2017. It's it's happened pretty quickly. It has, it has indeed. You're listening to this is your journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Now Rachel wanted to play footy, but it was a different world back then, and perhaps Australian basketball is thankful for that. We'll head to the small Victorian town of Murray. After this. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to Basketball Australia and South Australia Sport Hall of Famer, Rachel Spawn. So, Rachel, you, you grew up in a footy house, didn't you? Now, the small Victorian town of Murrayville on the Mallee Highway. But it was a very much a footy house for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, my dad, he ended up playing for North Adelaide in the 70s and played with Barry Robren and, and Russell Ebert, who are absolute royalty in South Australia. And my brother Kieran um, started his football career at West Adelaide, but then was drafted um, to Essendon in 1989, played there till 93, and then one, had one year with Fitzroy. So, yes, football was a massive part of our home. And back then, we only had ABC on TV. Yep. And all I saw on TV was, was football. So I thought, well, I wish I was a boy because I want to play football. And, um, you know, I remember I used to watch Drew Morfitt um, host the winners every Sunday night. I, I just love football. And Kieran and I would often, I was a bit of a tomboy and we'd um, have the football in our hands a lot, picking the footy um, out on the farm that we lived on. So, and, but I ended up obviously playing netball and basketball because they were on offer at home. Yeah, but it was a massive part. And that was before um, it was AFL, it was VFL. So we followed, you know, Victorian teams. And even though we were in Victoria, we're actually only two and a half hours from Adelaide, six hours from Melbourne. So Murrayville is actually the furthest town oh. in Victoria from Melbourne. Jeez, what was it like growing up there? I mean, it, w- did you just have the run of the place? It, it was a different time as well. It seemed like a safer world back then. I mean, did you just stroll oh, around, do whatever yeah, you wanted? Absolutely. So there's only 300 people in the town. So you knew everyone. And we lived eight kilometres out from Murrayville. So you used to catch a bus into school, had the best local pool, you know, in summer. It was very hot in the Mallee, surrounded by desert. So, so hot. And then winter's quite cold because you get frost. So you get um, polar differences um, in, in the climate. But no, it was an idyllic childhood because I, you know, I grew up on a farm. Even though dad was a builder, I had grandma and granite across the road, I had a farm. So I grew up milking cows, feeding lambs you know, um, cutting loose into the chooks, all those beautiful things that you could do on a farm and obviously ride a motorbike, um, you know, climb trees to get sparrows' eggs, all those wonderful things that I have of, of memories of growing up. And obviously sport was the, was, was the, our entertainment and was the crucial part, I guess, for our community and keeping us all together. So football on Saturday was a beautiful thing because we'd have netball and football played on the same day. So everyone would come together. So that's the most special memories for me. And because my mum was a very good um, athlete, that's why I started playing basketball. There was no junior grades when I grew up, so I had to play with adults at the really? age of nine. Really? So in some ways, yes, yeah, so in some ways I guess that toughened me up pretty quickly. And by the age of 12, had a growth spurt. So I played five years in A grade with mum and we won five premierships together um, with the Shadows. How good. <laughs> and so, yeah, so and that's what I love about country too is you often play with your parents. So your parents, you know, keep playing because they need the numbers 
So that was pretty special. And Kieran got to play with Dad as well. So that great memories of that. I was going to ask you why footy wasn't possible, but that explains it perfectly. If there was juniors, then you would have been fine to at least have a run around for a while. But basketball enters your life and we, we don't look back. So you're listed as 187 centimetres, six foot two in the old. So you reckon by the age of 12, were you close to that height at 12? Oh, I reckon I was probably 5'10". And then I, yeah, would have grown a fair bit after that. My feet were size 12 when I was 11. So I had a bit of growing to do and I was very skinny. Um, That didn't really change. But, yeah, no, I I was given an amazing sort of natural ability from my mum and dad. And I think mum and dad were awesome in that they really taught Kieran and I and my two younger sisters, Tamsin and Hannah, to really respect you know, your opponents, your coach, the officials, so and very good work ethic because mum and dad were such great athletes and they loved coaching. So we sort of saw their passion from a very young age and that was really passed down to all of us. So when I mention the name Ted Powell, what memories does that invoke in you? Yeah, so it was interesting because I was no one sort of knew about us for basketball because country Victoria, too remote to represent the state. Country SA, because I lived in Victoria. And, and the talent identification program wasn't really happening like it does now. So I was, I was playing an association game in Bordertown and there was a West Adelaide scout there called Bess Searle who saw me play and she went back to West Adelaide coaches and one of those was Ted Powell. And she said, look, there's this tall, skinny girl called Rachel. You need to recruit her. So they drove the two and a half hours from Adelaide to meet with mum and dad and, and myself and they wanted me to move down the following year, which would have been year 12, um, to start in their junior program. And I was like, there was no way I was leaving Maribel in my most important year of my schooling. So mum would drive me down once a month to the tall girl clinics. That's what they were called back then. <laughs> so that was, um, so at the age of 17, that was my, my first specialised coaching. And then when I did move down in 1986, um, so Ted Powell was integral and instrumental in giving me my skill set. He taught me how to do a jump shot. He taught me how to do low post moves taught me how to use my left hand because I never had so and I my first year in Adelaide was pretty hard so there were a few tears in the first year because I was just overwhelmed but obviously so wrapped that I didn't give it away because it was too hard um, because basketball gave me incredibly privileged life that I'll be forever grateful for yeah and Ted was obviously coaching the West Adelaide Bearcats at the time and and would go on to be heavily responsible for starting the WNBL Um, and you maintain your sense of humor though because you once joked with him that you had no jump shot you were a head turner on d and you had no left hand so he had plenty to work with ted anyway but uh he did a great job and so did you because your debut in 86 at 18 you must have been a quick learner only a few years after arriving there there was individual silverware your first halls medal with the bearcats as south australia's fairest and most brilliant player yeah i guess i was lucky because i was attending uni i had time during the day to get extra coaching from ted and he was wonderful in that and just being so generous with his time so yeah it, it really i guess accelerated my development and my progress then I, there was a there was a lot to learn and a lot to improve so thankfully yes that did happen quickly and what was great for me is that back then there was three WNBL teams, West Adelaide, North Adelaide and Nolunga. So how lucky was I to go from this country raw kid straight into a WNBL program, whereas now there's only one with Adelaide Lightning. So I would have had to wait, bide my time. So I was thrown into the elite environment immediately. And a WNBL team was also our MBL one team that played on a Tuesday night. 
So I was just getting such great competition day in, day out, and that's why I improved so quickly. And a steep learning curve on the court, obviously, but off the court. I mean, he's small town, farm girl. Did Adelaide feel like New York City for you? Yes, I was homesick. Um, and it was really hard to get home because of the commitments of playing um, in the WNBL. It really helped, though, that Kieran was here. He was my go-to and he was my plus one. I had to go to any event and, and vice versa. So really, really great having him here. And I loved going to watch him play as well. And, and obviously mum and dad would try to get down as much as they could um, also. But you were so right in that. As I said, the first year was really hard. I was living with a lovely um, West Adelaide family. So that made it a little bit easier. They were looking after me. Um, still cooking for me and so it was sort of like I was still home in, in that sense um, but yeah even learning to drive in the city that that was different <laughs> so um, yeah there was so many adjustments to make yeah. Um, but yeah just obviously yeah still and I'm still here what are we from gosh 37 years later <laughs> still in Adelaide. Love it. You with this is your journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online too at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be right back with Rachel Spawn after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with eight-time WNBL All-Star and five-time title winner, Rachel Spawn. And just on those titles, Rachel, your first one comes in 1990. It's during a short stint with the North Adelaide Rockets. I think it's an experienced team. And you're the youthful one, aren't you, on the roster? I was, yes. We had, um, you know, dual Olympians and Marina Moffa and and Donna Brown playing in that team. So it it was a hard decision to leave West Adelaide because obviously they'd given me my opportunity. Um, but, yeah, they recruited me to North. And now my first year there, we, we did win the title. We actually went um, to Hobart to beat the Hobart Islanders. So that was amazing to experience that. Um, yeah, because I was only, what, 22 at that point. And then after that, um, we actually, yeah, amalgamated pretty much to become uh, West Adelaide and the Comets. And in 1993, Adelaide Lightning was formed. And I didn't know at the time that being a member of the Adelaide Lightning would be such an amazing, amazing experience and and one of the greatest journeys of my life. Jan Sterling was our coach. Um, She recruited not not only great athletes, but great people. And I think that's why we really had so much success going forward with that team. Take us through... I guess back to the formation of the Lightning in, in, in 93, because we'll get to your success in a moment. It's a, There's no mucking around. It's absolutely immediate. But what are your memories of the, of the club and the franchise forming and your part in that? Yeah, it was such an exciting time. And I was I just felt so lucky to be an athlete in that era when Lightning was formed because the Clipsal Powerhouse was only one year old. So we're so <laughs> excited. We're going to be playing this amazing stadium. And in those days, we, we played before the 36ers, as they did all over the country wherever you went you pretty much played double headers with the men which we actually loved and 
Yeah, we, we felt so professional. Like our, our um, salary wasn't <laughs> still deemed to be all that professional, but you were doing it for the love of it. And just to, and our profile was lifting as well because we were now one team that they could, I guess the media was concentrating on. And because we did have success quite quickly, you know, we made the preliminary final in our first year and, and then obviously the success came, that came after that. So, yeah, it was, it was just wonderful sort of having this real identity our uniform in the first year, Sammy, was not so great. I was going to ask you. Horrible. I was going to ask you this how you would describe sort of, it. So everyone was going to the bodysuits, but for some reason we went to this leotard type <laughs> thing with shorts over the top, and we had a mesh black mesh part in the middle. That's right. And they were just so ugly. And I still remember the first game we had. We we actually played at the AIS in Canberra, and there was quite a lot of young men watching the game. And when we took our warm up tops off tops off they all wolf whistled and I don't know we felt we felt like we were half naked or something yeah. which of course we weren't but it was such a change from the shorts and singlet to this tight-fitting rather strange outfit so 1994 was a bit of a relief when the proper bodysuit came in and they were like this is much better this is more like it and the success so 94 95 96 a three-peat it's an outrageous run of results what was it like living it at the time oh well 94 was incredible because that was a double overtime win against melbourne tigers who'd become a great rival of ours so we just celebrated that so much and it's one of my it's right up there with Olympic matches for me it, it was just incredible and and I remember how exhausted we were but we just had to keep going and then to win it um, was just incredible and then 90, 95 to back it up again against the Melbourne Tigers so that was incredibly special you know to win two in a row and I, I always remember when Malcolm Vlight said it's a miracle if you can win three premierships in a row and we did that in 96 we had to do that away from home this time it was in Sydney and um, yeah to get the three peat we had the t-shirts ready <laughs> to go and um so that and then we and then in reality is a good uh, sort of comes to bite you pretty quickly because 97 you know we're going for a four peat repeat but we lost to Sydney at home but then one in 98 so four premierships in five years what a way to start a new franchise just on 97 that was a loss to the uh, the Sydney Flames now I read that you once described uh, this losing grand final as a wake-up call now it shows you how well the team's going if a grand final loss represents a wake-up call <laughs> you've done your research so you're gonna bring back memories of this oh we were just I think because you um I don't know, winning three in a row, it felt amazing. And to go for, of course, it's so difficult, but we were, I don't know, the confidence in our or self-belief was very high. Mm. So we were shattered, absolutely shattered that we lost that and it, and it was at home. So it's like, right, we have to go back to the drawing board because when you do have success, you become the hunted and it's like, okay, well, we have to lift to another level again. And thankfully we did in, in 98. You raised her name earlier, your coach at this point, Jan Sterling. So what sort of influence did Jan have? I think it was at one point 12 straight finals appearances on her watch at the Lightning or something ridiculous like that. She brought professionalism to our group. We were train, training us like proper professional athletes and she sort of probably was ahead of her time in bringing in a lot of cross-training you know, we did sand hills, we did pool work. Um, we, we got introduced to the dreaded Versa climber. Have you been on that? What's the Same Versa, Versa climber? Climb. Oh, it's like an upright sort of uh, running machine. Oh, it's hard to explain. Sounds torturous. And, uh, <laughs> It, it's it's a combination, I don't know, I guess between a treadmill rowing machine and this. Oh, it's just murder. So she had us so fit. And I really believe 
that's why we were able to, you know, run out the season so well, peak when we needed to because we did the hard work in the pre-season. She identified that as a real requirement to be successful. And again, she was able to recruit the right people. We did a, we did a lot of bonding activities as well. I still remember we went out with the Star Force guys. That was interesting. <laughs> that was sort of three days of slight, what, not, not like SAS Australia, but we felt like we were doing things like that yeah. um, back then. So, again, what a great thing to do to toughen us up and, you know, take us out with the Star Force guys. And nutrition and diet and lifestyle and sleep and all those sort of things in the mix as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, and Jan was incredible when, when, like, new recruits would come out of the AIS who hadn't really got used to cooking for themselves. She'd fill their fridges with homemade food. And, uh, yeah, so, and often I remember for a couple of years before every home game, we'd go for a pregame meal together and we'd go back to Jan's home um, before we went to um, the stadium to play. So that was just really getting us used to being together a lot and probably replicating being on the road. So yeah, she just tried lots of different things and they all seemed to work. Just on the Detroit Shock, WNBA, was it year two you joined? And what was what was that experience like initially? Because you would have been one of the first Australians to play in the in the, in the the league. Yeah, so we have to thank Michelle Timms yeah. um, for being a pioneer and, and an amazing player and just giving Australians a magnificent reputation in the WNBA because Timsey had a standout tournament at the 1996 Olympic Games. So that's why she was targeted when the draft happened in 97. So she went in the top 16 um, and she was the only Australian in 1997 playing in the WNBA. So what an achievement. And then in 1998, um, I was drafted number 14 to Detroit Shock. So there was probably, I had Sandy Brondello and Carla Boyd with me as well in Detroit, but I reckon there was probably now eight of us in the league in 98. So it was pretty exciting when you came across each other, when you played each other, you'd catch up after the game or catch up before. But I, I know I've talked about, you know, like being with Lightning seemed like you're professional, but WNBA was so great because you weren't working. Um, you were just playing, eating, breathing basketball and you didn't have as many distractions. The crowds are incredible. I think they were averaging 15,000 a game. We're playing in all the NBA stadiums. I played at Madison Square Gardens, for goodness sake. You know, how crazy is that? And, yeah, just seeing how they were so ready for women's basketball because they'd sort of tried different leagues and they hadn't worked. So they got the formula right for the WNBA. Mm. They weren't paying their players a whole lot. So they were very careful the first few years and they still are because you, you can earn a lot more playing in Europe than you can in the WNBA. So they were spending a lot on marketing, which was the right thing to do to get the publicity and the profile. And yeah, and then every single player from all around the world wanted to be playing in this league and it's still you know down the track it's it's just killing it and it's you know that's showing in the USA's performance at the Olympics they've won the last seven gold medals for goodness sake which is really annoying um but that's to do with the amazing WNBA you mentioned Europe now you were passionate about um playing in the WNBL and you were a back-to-back league MVP 96 97 and you never played in Europe I don't think it was it was WNBL in the summer when it moved to that time of year in 98 correct me if I'm wrong that opened the door for you to obviously join the Detroit Shock so it was WNBA uh WNBL in the summer and WNBA in the winter for a good three or four years wasn't it that's right the only little stint I did in Europe there's probably not even anywhere is I played in Austria for nine weeks that's all I did in 96 97 um mainly because with my body type I just didn't think 
the long season in Europe was suited to me. And I and I am a homebody. I didn't want to be away from Australia for eight, nine months of the year. So when we changed the WNBL to summer and the WNBA, yes, came in, they worked in beautifully. And um, so the WNBA, I was, yeah, 98. Unfortunately, 99 is when I did my ACL and um, I had to come home. Uh, 18 games in and that was really hard because we made the finals that year in in, the, in Detroit um, and then I had missed a whole season um, of WNBL so that that was pretty tough. Sydney 2000 only Michelle Timms and Michelle Brogan played in the WNBA the rest of us stayed home to prepare for the Sydney Olympics so my final year was 2001 in WNBA I'd signed a two-year deal but then I got pregnant <laughs> so um so that's why my last season was 2001. And you mentioned the ACL but for you to play 300 and 77 games and that's just in the WNBL um to play that number there were setbacks like you mentioned overseas but durability was was one of your hallmarks yeah I was going for Jimmy Stein's record Sammy <laughs> I, I, I should only miss one game in 14 years because of an ankle injury and then my ACL yeah just blew that away of course and I'd never had surgery prior to that and when it happened we we're playing Cleveland in Cleveland and I just it was in the second half and I just went up to intercept a lob pass and, and, and I, it was a landing I would have done a thousand times before. But unfortunately, when I landed, my kneecap went left and my tibia hit my femoral condyle. And that's why it was so painful. I hadn't had a baby at that point. So I didn't really know what true pain was like. I pretty much did it. I shredded my ACL. I did my lateral meniscus, my medial ligament and the impaction fracture. So I was actually flown straight to Melbourne to Dr. David Young, who put me back together. Because if he hadn't got the um, smoothness back in my femoral condyle, it would have been it for me. And I still played in two Olympics after that. So I'll be forever grateful to Dr. David Young, who just did my dad's hip replacement, can you believe, um, in August last year. So he's still in our lives. It's in the family. He's got you on the mailing list. Oh, gee, that's a hamburger with a lot of a knee injury as well. Um, the Rachel Spawn medal, I mean, so fitting for someone yes. like you. Who knows what it takes to perform when the pressure, you know, is at its greatest. But also when it comes to your legacy, I mean, the Rachel Spawn Academy at the Lightning. I mean, must be a great source of pride for you. I mean, having your name attached to the club's future and the next generation of prospects, you know, stepping onto the court. Yeah, no, because that was um, about six years ago, the Academy was formed and that was Chris Lucas and Marcus Wong, who were uh, coaches um, and assistant coach at Lightning. So yeah, because we sort of, they realised there wasn't a proper pathway, sort of, there was like the... um, Sassy or the Institute of Sport pathway until girls were about 16 and then it stopped. So to have it sort of focused on girls aged 16 to 20 and it's been wonderful seeing graduates of that. Um, So Ruby Porter was our first one who played for Lightning. She's now in US college system. Um, Jazz Fijo is another one. So, yeah, it's um, Brooke Basham. There's probably four or five girls who have actually played for Lightning from that academy. So it's it's been wonderful to, to see that happen. It's it, we have eight coaches donating their time um, to that academy at six thirty in the morning. <laughs> so you know it, it, you do what you do to try and um, help these girls progress and achieve their goals. And just while we're on the subject of legacy and not wanting to embarrass you here for a moment, but does your number fourteen still hang from the the western wall of Adelaide Arena? There, it's maybe it's not hanging at the moment because um, we don't have at Lightning. They actually don't have a home. They're homeless, of course. <laughs> At the moment. So, yes, which is a little bit um, disappointing, I guess, because um, so, our premier 
ownership flags aren't up anywhere either. So hopefully the Waverley Showgrounds, they're doing a massive renovation or building three new courts there. So we will have a home soon, hopefully within the 12 months. And, yeah, the flag, premiership flags and potentially the number 14 single will be back up hanging from the rafters. Uh, we'll get it back up. Quick sticks, I reckon. We're talking to Rachel Spawn right here on This Is Your Journey and it's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. As you heard, the Opals, they've been a big presence in Australia's sporting conscience for so long. We'll revisit Rachel's enormous contribution on that front next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. They're a family-owned business since 1934. Basketball great Rachel Spawn has been our guest today. So, Rach, as you said, you went to three Olympic Games. I mean, I've just got to ask what sort of pride and excitement comes from representing your country at something as enormous as the Games, you know, knowing that the world is watching. Well, I had wanted to be an Olympian since I was eight years old because um, the only women's sport when I was growing up that I saw was Olympic Games and Commonwealth Games. And I remember in 1976, I was watching the Montreal Games and I saw Raylene Boyle compete and she didn't win a medal that day. And she actually broke twice, I think in the 200. And I was so devastated for her, but I was just drawn to her because I thought, oh my gosh, we have a female athlete on the other side of the world who's made an Olympic final. And I just wanted to be like Raylene. So my Olympic dream was born when I was eight. And then I would meet Raylene years later and work with her in Beijing as a commentator. And that for me was just the pinnacle. I was like a little girl and I told her she was my role model. Um, So for me to finally be an Olympian um, with the Opals, just a dream come true. And even though there's always ups and downs because we didn't qualify for Barcelona, we went to the pre-Olympic tournament and that broke my heart. It shattered all of us. I can still remember us all crying in the change rooms, inconsolable. And that was one of the darkest days of my life. But you, you regroup, Tom Ma became our coach and then we started to have success. And so going to Atlanta, I was 28. I was just like, you know, kid at Christmas, this doesn't get any better Mum and dad were there, my husband was there. And then we go and win our first ever Olympic medal in the history of Australian basketball. So for me, Atlanta was quite magical. And then obviously Sydney, how lucky was I to have an Olympics, a home Olympics in my generation? And that's why I'm so excited about Brisbane 2032, that it's going to happen again. And playing in front of the home crowd was just extraordinary. They just lifted us every time. We didn't beat USA. We, we won the silver. And then Athens, I was a mum. So this brought on a whole new sort of, I guess, I don't know, concept of playing at the elite level. I've got a sort of, I've got someone, this little person at home. So that made it even more special. And I had to work so hard to get back into the Australian team. So I was probably the fittest I'd ever been in Athens. And I was the oldest, I was 36. And I was hoping for the fairy tale, Sammy, to get the gold, bronze, silver, gold. But no, USA, beat us again. But the Olympics, it, it doesn't get any better than that. And, and I'm just so blessed that I've been able to continue on my involvement as a commentator because I've been to Beijing, London and, and Tokyo, even though I was from the Melbourne studios. But it, for me, I, I just love it. I, it's, I just embrace it 
it's 17 days that for me the world just stops and that's all I want to focus on. Special. And the US, the nemesis, I mean, so you lose to them in the semi in Atlanta, you lose to them in the final in Sydney, you lose to them in the final at Athens. Did you just despise them? (laughs) Well, it's an interesting one because, of course, they were nice enough girls off the court. (laughs) But, yes, of course we wanted to beat them. And I think we got to a point, because when I first joined the Australian team, it was sort of you you didn't expect to beat USA. But then as we got better and better, we're like, we're well beaters. We can beat them. And we had this motto that we are feared. And whoever plays us, they think, oh, holy crap, we've got Australia next. They are tough. And that's why Athens was really tough because we were leading in the third quarter and we really felt that we could do it. But as we know, momentum changes so quickly in sport. And I think we ended up losing um, by 11. So we're so disappointed with that. Yeah, and just no one's been able to topple them because they haven't lost an Olympic match since 1992. So it's like, come on, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. They just, I think they could field three Olympic teams and they could just about medal, you know, gold, silver, bronze. That's how much depth they have. So it's hard to compete with that. But I really feel that someone is going, I hope it's the Opals in Paris, but I feel someone is going to get them soon. And just with your three Olympic experiences, can you clearly differentiate between the three? I mean, Athens was the closest on the scoreboard, but did you also think that was your best crack at a gold? Definitely, because... Atlanta, yeah, because we lost to Ukraine in the regular rounds. We met USA in the semi, so we didn't get the opportunity to play in the gold medal game. And and USA kicked our butt in that semi. And, you know, they're playing in their home court. It was in front of a world. We're playing in world record crowds in Atlanta because we're in the Georgia Dome, the Gridiron Stadium. It was cut in half. Basketball one side, um, gymnastics. So 35,000 people were playing in front of. That's crazy itself. And then Sydney was so, so disappointing because we're in front of our home crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, the Sydney 2000 Olympic basketball competition gold medal playoff. We only shot 24% up to half time. So we were 20 down at half time. So that was so disappointing. I ended up losing by 20. So Athens was our best opportunity. Um, we had Lauren Jackson, you know, at the height of her game. And so we really felt that that was an opportunity lost. I'm glad you mentioned Lauren. Who comes to mind when you think of, you know, teammates that you shared the locker room with? Yeah, so Robin Mark always comes to mind because she was my first captain. And I was quite scared of Robin <laughs> because she played so tough. I remember seeing her play for Australia before I was in the Australian team. I went to a game in Adelaide and I thought, oh my God, she's so tough and she'd be the scariest opponent, but she's the most amazing teammate. Towards the end of Robin's career, because I was sort of one of the older players as well, we roomed together a lot and she's a softie. You know, she, she was she was a beautiful person. And obviously, Timsey, one of my most favourite ever, because her energy and enthusiasm which was contagious and you just know that she'd give 110% whenever she played and she'd take you along with her. And it was so wonderful. And, of course, she was the best passer in the world. So I was on the end of a lot of her passes to get my layout down the other end. I owe her a lot. But, yeah. And then Sandy Brondello, I have to mention Sandy because, you know, now the coach of the Opals, she was one of the most pure shooters we ever had 
probably had the greatest work ethic on the floor and I'm just so proud of what she's doing with the Opals now. But then Lauren, I still remember she joined us when she was a 16-year-old at a training camp and she didn't actually train because she had shin splints, but she came with us on a trip to Brazil and she only was playing maybe 10 minutes and her, her efficiency rating was off the charts. You know, she'd get 10 points, six rebounds, and we're like, she wouldn't be able to sustain that for 40 minutes. But of course she could. And so we were just seeing what brilliance she was going to bring, not knowing what champion she was going to become all over the world. And I'm so wrapped that I got to see her development from this young 16-year-old. Because I still remember at Opal's training, she said to me, oh, Rachel, do you want me to show you how I can dunk? I said, sure, because I've been trying to dunk for years, never could. And she, yeah, she was just so gorgeous when she was so young, so innocent. And um, then she was the most mentally tough person I've ever seen play the game. No matter what was going on in her life, as soon as she stepped over the white line, 100% committed and just she was feared. And I'm so glad that she wasn't always my opponent and that she was my teammate. <laughs> so I won't make you squirm by asking you perhaps who the pin you down to the most talented player you played with, but who, Rachel, was your toughest opponent? I'm going Zhong Hai Shi from China. I don't know if you remember. Um, she was six foot nine and weighed 50 more kilos than I did. That's a problem. And because I because I was the tallest player in the Australian team when I first joined the program, I always had to guard um, Zung. And it was the most exhausting <laughs> um, experience that you'd ever have. But she was one of the greatest players because I remember Oz94, the World Championships in Sydney, she was the MVP. She shot at 80%. China won the silver medal um, that year. She was amazing because we did tried everything to stop her she never got angry never retaliated she just had this gorgeous smile and um while she was playing china were a world force so i'm just so grateful that i got to experience that and even though and i and even though hortensia was not my opponent she was a guard um she was brazil's greatest player ever and unfortunately she was the reason we didn't qualify for the barcelona olympics she had, I think, 40 points in the game against us. Um, but she was another that was on just another level. A, a big part of your career, I reckon at least half, was in a time before email. So it was all about snail mail. And I think you said that one of the best parts of your career, and you played so much basketball, was just the interaction with the fans and how they used to send you letters and, and you, you would arrange to meet them after games, which is magical. Have you... I don't know, have you kept some of those letters over the journey? Are they somewhere safe, tucked I have, away? I have them all, Sammy. I, um, it, particularly uh, in Atlanta, I got lots of letters and a lot of letters from the um, primary school where I grew up in Murrayville. So that I've got a, a whole booklet of those, which was incredibly special. But, yeah, each each Olympics I got beautiful letters because they encouraged the kids to to write to you rather than email, when, even when email was in, and I would make a point of replying to everyone. And I'm talking, I'm not talking on a level like Kathy Freeman, I think, got 30,000 letters in Sydney. So she can't reply to everyone. But like, <laughs> mine wasn't on a level that I couldn't reply personally to everyone. You know, maybe I'd get 100 letters and, I, and it was such a beautiful thing. And I actually have some, yeah, friendships still of um, fans that wrote to me and we'd either catch up after a game in Sydney or Melbourne. And, yeah, it's funny how they just sort of, um, gravitate to you just from watching you on TV and then they'd write to you, which was so lovely. Beautifully said. The romance of snail mail, eh? Long, long may it live on. <laughs> hey, Rachel, 
Thanks so much for joining us today. As I said, you did it so well for so long and your legacy and the indelible mark you've left on the sport of basketball in this country especially deserves a lot of praise. Not bad for a girl who grew up in a tiny Victorian town wanting to play another sport altogether. So well done on all you achieved and best of luck with life at Port Adelaide in the AFLW and thanks for joining us. My my absolute pleasure, Sammy. Thank you. That was fantastic. And thanks for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online, find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.